Welcome to Quantum Kingdom Life. Also, you can find us on Virtual Church Community, virtualchurchcommunity.com. We have a new Facebook page. We have a private page, but everybody wanted to get on, so we created a public page, and we created a domain name, virtualchurchcommunity.com. You can share that with others, and we're building out that page. We've got 250 on a private page. We're going to migrate over, but you can't make a private page public because people join privately, so that's a security thing to help protect them, and uh, we want to have security online. I am David Harabedi, and this is my lovely wife, Joanna, and there's the Queen's Wave, she's saying hello, we have fun, but uh, we're also in a live audience tonight. Everybody say hello. Hello. Never a dull moment here, so if you're ever in Orlando on a Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, come join us. You can ping us and we'll get you the address. You can get private ministry, public ministry, and ministry from one another because we believe in the 4P principle. Many churches believe in the 3P. We believe in the 4P. Churches believe in you plopping on the seat, praying unto God, and paying into the offering plate. We're not opposed to any of those three. But we have a fourth P. And it's not just plop, pray, and pay, but we like you to get into the pool of the Holy Spirit and play Amen. with God. Get equipped. So we're here to equip the saints for the work of ministry until we all come under the unity of the faith, no longer being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and the cunning craftiness of men, but we all grow up into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I don't want to make mini-me's. I want to make maxi-you's because we're all unique in Him. And if you ever were going to a church and everybody looks like the pastor, there's a problem. God is a God of diversity. And so eventually you get your own identity in Him. He's got a stone with your name on it that nobody else knows. It is personal. He's a personal God. Tonight, I'm excited about this message and what God is going to do. Because he always confirms his word with signs and wonders following. We're going to talk about prophecy tonight. We're going to be able to identify real prophecy by also recognizing how to spot or recognize a false prophecy and or a false prophet in your midst. Because these are spots in your love feast, the book of Jude says. Jude, the brother of Jesus spots in your feasts of charity. So anytime you have real prophecy, the enemy shows up with the false prophets. A lot of times people say, we don't have any false prophets in our congregation. That's because you've got no real ones in your congregation. You're a false prophet or you're a non-profit organization. That's a joke. But anytime you get the real fire of God in the church, you're going to have some wildfires show up. And I'd rather have wildfire that we have to deal with and no fire at all. Amen? So tonight I just want to start and just say, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, have your way. Give us <clears throat> eyes to see, ears to hear what the Spirit is saying unto the church at this hour, that we are fully equipped unto every good work, that we have discernment from the Holy Spirit and how to recognize the real from the false, the genuine from the counterfeit, that which is from God, from that which looks like it's from God, that we might be 
those that carry your presence with good doctrine anchored in the word, also with signs and wonders following to plunder hell and populate heaven and to equip others that they might know you. Keynote verse for tonight is going to be out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We want to establish that God is into prophecy. What is prophecy? Prophecy is hearing from God and speaking to men. Hearing from God, vertical relationship. Psalms 45.1 says, My heart is overflowing with a good thing. King James, indicting with a good thing. I speak those things that I have received as touching the king. I speak those things that I have received as touching. In other words, proximity, relationship. You've been in his presence, and in his presence there's fullness of joy. And in his presence, he will speak things to you. He will speak things to you as his friend, and he will reveal things to come. Surely the God, the Lord God will do nothing in the earth without except he first reveal his secret unto his servants, plural, the prophets, plural, Amos 3, 7. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 30 says, you may all prophesy, verse 30 and 31, one by one. How many may prophesy? All. Who is he speaking to? Everybody in the church. We're called to be a prophetic people that are in relationship with the king in proximity with him, hearing our heart overflows. Open your mouth and he will fill it. It comes out of relationship. Now, it's not just the word of the Lord that comes forth. It's also the heart of God that comes forth. And his heart is a heart of love. So when you prophesy to somebody, it's not a harsh word. It's a restorative word for edification, building up, and comfort to restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, lest we too are comforted. Now, there are times as you've developed into the gift of prophecy, the Lord will then give you a stronger word, and maybe it'll be a confrontational word. And we'll get into some examples of that from both Scripture and some things that I've witnessed, good, bad, and, uh, you know, indifferent, and also some things I've experienced and had the pleasure of experiencing in my own life and the prophetic uh, flow out of relationship with the Lord. So our keynote verse tonight is 1 Thessalonians 5.19. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the church at Thessalonica. The Apostle Paul speaking to the church at Thessalonica. And we're going to start in verse 17. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 through 23. Pray without ceasing. In other words, pray all the time. Prayer is not you know, uh, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, that might be a great place to start. But that's a jump start based upon Scripture. True prayer is communing in His presence, you speaking to Him, Him speaking to you. A dialogue, not a monologue. It's a duplex phone, not a simplex phone. It's not one directional. It's a two-way street where you speak to the Lord and you wait for Him to speak back to you. And that's where the prophetic comes from. So pray without ceasing. We need to be a people of prayer. We need to be a people that are prayerful and we carry the residue of his presence, the fragrance of his knowledge is diffused in every place out of relationship. So pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 In everything give thanks for this is the will of God. Another scripture says for all things give thanks. Somebody says, well, you know, it says to give thanks in all things, but not for all things because bad things happen. No, 
Actually, it says to give thanks in all things and to give thanks for all things because Romans 8.28 says, but we know that God works all things together for good for those who are called according to his purpose, those that love him and are called according to his purpose. So regardless of what happens, if the devil steals something from you, you can say, praise God, I'm getting back sevenfold. I thank God for that. The enemy's going to have to pay. Nobody despises a thief if he steals when he's hungry, it says in Proverbs 6, 30 and 31. Nevertheless, he must give sevenfold. He must give all the goods of his household. Right now, I forgive the individual who stole. I now give thanks for this. I give thanks in it. And Lord, I thank you. And I declare accordance with your word in Proverbs 6, 30 and 31. Sevenfold return on every single thing that was stolen. Thank you, Lord, for now bringing it in through someone else, a different way, a business opportunity, a new idea, an investment, an inheritance, a gift, whatever that is. I've watched that happen on many occasions where somebody stole something from me. I applied that verse, gave thanks, forgave the individual, whether they were known or unknown, and taxed the thief. For the thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy, John 10, 10. But Jesus comes to give life and to give it more abundantly. The devil is into subtraction and division. God is into addition and multiplication. You can always tell what spirit's in operation by whether it's subtracting and dividing in your life or adding and multiplying. For the thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus comes to give life and to give it more abundantly. And there's nobody who has given up lands or money or this or that in this life that won't be rewarded a hundredfold in this life and the one to come. And so you have an eternal reward where we build up treasures in heaven and you also have an earthly one where he adds things unto you, not so that you can have Learjet's Corvettes and a house by the lake, get all you can, can all you get and sit on the can, no, 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 but that you can be fully funded to go out and preach the gospel for your family needs to be met in every area in every way with enough left over to meet the needs of other people. So it's not how much you have, it's how much you have left over after your needs have been met. So one person may need a lot more and have a leftover. That's prosperity. Prosperity is meeting the needs of man in every area for their assignment. So if your assignment is Mother Teresa with a thousand orphanages, you probably need more money than Teresa with three kids, right? And so the bigger your assignment, the more that you need. And Mother Teresa took a bout of poverty at millions of dollars, came through her fingertips and a thousand orphanages to get girls and, and boys off the street, to help restore lives in Calcutta, India. And praise God, those orphanages, her fruit was born and her fruit remained today. Okay, so... 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. Verse 18, and everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. If you can't give thanks, ask the Lord. Put me in Christ. In you I live and move and have my being. I don't have joy. I'm upset. I'm angry. But I choose to step into my inheritance, seated far above all principality, power, might, and dominion in you, Lord that I might flow in you. Oh, I see it now. I see it from heaven's perspective. You have the, the wicked in derision. You know their day is coming. Lord, I forgive them. And thank you, Father God, for on the horizontal plane of life in relationships, you add unto me. And I thank you for my internal inheritance, but also 
that you prosper me in this life, not as the world prospers, but in a way that brings joy. For the blessing of the Lord maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow with it. Yet many have departed the faith, seeking after riches, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So there's a, a prosperity that comes from God without sorrow, and there's a prosperity that comes from the world that brings sorrow. Is that helpful at all? Litmus test. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Verse 19, 1 Corinthians, 1 Thessalonians 5, 19. Quench not the spirit. Test all things. No, quench not the spirit, verse 19. Despise not prophesying. So don't despise prophecies. We get into this teaching tonight. I just want to establish God loves prophecy. God has raised us up to be a prophetic people, to hear his voice. You are people that are his sheep, the, 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 the people of his pasture. You hear his voice. You follow him. Another you will not follow because you know how to recognize him. Despise not prophesying, verse 21. Test all things and then hold fast to that which is good. It doesn't say test all things and hold fast to that which is bad. You wouldn't take the seeds out of the grape and throw away the good grapes and focus in on how bad the seeds are. You would take the seeds out, eat the grapes, spit out the seeds. You would eat the chicken, spit up the bones. If we would have the same attitude in church on Sunday morning with prophecy, eat the chicken, spit up the bones, don't throw out the baby with the bathwater, as we have at the chicken place on Sunday after church, where we're glad to eat the chicken and spit up the bones. But here's what happens. In churches, we either swallow the chicken and the bones, or we throw out the baby in the bathwater and we say, we're not going back there. People grow in maturity in the prophetic. So verse 21 says, test all things and then hold fast to that which is good. Verse 22, abstain from all appearance of evil and the very God of shalom peace will sanctify you completely. And I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 24. Faithful is he who calleth you who will also do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet the brethren with a holy kiss or a holy hug. So we're going to get into this teaching now. And this is really how to recognize a false prophet. And we're going to look at a progression of false prophets. There's a progression in scripture from Genesis to the Old Testament and then also we're going to see it. So, the counterparts of the New Testament. How to recognize a false prophet. How to recognize a false prophet. We're going to look at the life of Cain in the book of Genesis. We're going to look at the life of Balaam in the book of Numbers. And also Korah in the book of Numbers. Three types of false prophets. Jesus was clear when speaking to false prophets in the book of Matthew. He said, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing. Jesus said, beware, take note, be aware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing. They look like Christians, they look like sheep, but they're not. But inwardly, so they have all the Christianese, they say the right things, they can quote scripture, they can go from Genesis to Revolution and all the way around again, but inwardly, they have an intention. And their intention is that of ravening wolves. What do wolves do to sheep? 
they tear them apart. You know what the difference is between a fox and a wolf? A wolf lets you know who he is. A fox, on the other hand, acts like your friend. But both have the same goal in the end, which is to devour you. So there's some false prophets that are foxes, and we're going to get into Balaam, how he was a fox. And we're also going to see those that are wolves, and they make no bones about it. But they'll eat you and spit up your bones. You will know them, Jesus says, Matthew 7, 15. You will know them by their fruit. How do you tell a false prophet? Well, according to Jesus, it's by your fruit. You shall be able to recognize them. Does a good tree bear bad fruit? The answer is no. Does a bad tree bear good fruit? The answer is no. Good root, good fruit. Bad root, bad fruit. How can you tell somebody's false in their root system? They're false in their fruit system. And what is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, meekness, temperance, patience, faithfulness, self-control. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And what is the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit? They're up a little bit further in their 17 works of the flesh in the New International Version in Galatians 5.16, reading and on before you get to the nine fruit of the Spirit. The most effective litmus test for discerning a false prophecy is by testing the fruit of the prophecy. This is different from judging the person. I want to make this distinction. We're not here to judge Prophets, we're here to recognize false prophets and beware of them, distance ourselves, mark and avoid them if necessary. And there's also people that may prophesy inaccurately. They may miss it in the spirit. They might be young in prophecy. And when they're young in prophecy, we have to work with them. Just like if somebody gets up and they're young in the Lord and they do a teaching and they butcher a scripture, that doesn't make them a false teacher. It makes them an immature teacher. And we don't, we don't eviscerate them because they misquoted a verse. We encourage them so that they, but we also bring, you know, godly correction, but in a way that restores such a one in a spirit of meekness, lest we too are tempted. The Bible says, judge not lest you be judged. So we don't want to judge people, but we want to judge fruit. We want to judge prophecy. We want to judge doctrine and be clean in our doctrine and what we understand. It's interesting that Jesus said just 14 verses earlier in the same chapter in Matthew 7, 1, that we, uh, he says, judge not lest you be judged. So we want to not judge people, but prophecy. Judge not people, but intents of the heart. Judge not people, but doctrine. Judge not people, but teaching. Is that helpful at all? So we want to distinguish the two. Is it possible that a true Christian can miss it, miss it on occasion and give a false word. Absolutely. A broke watch is right twice a day. A non-believer can make an accurate prophecy and still not be a Christian. And a Christian can miss it. Can a Christian sin? Yes. The Bible says be angry and sin not. The Bible says if you see a brother in a fault, a brother, a Christian in a fault, you who are spiritual to restore such a one. In other words, we don't look down on them. We bend over and help pick them up, dust them off, correct them, and get them going. So I want to give a lot of grace before we get into some of the stronger admonitions here when it comes to false prophecy. Because what's happening right now, as I've noticed, 
that there's this uh, almost like a, a judging and a bickering and people are going after each other on, on like social media and the internet. I mean, true believers. I have friends who are strong Christians, written several books. I know their character. I know the fruit of their ministry. I know their commitment to their wife, their families, uh, their community, their church, the lost. They're wonderful people. And yet some other heretic hunter is going after them on some obscure issue of doctrine and trying to completely cancel or negate their ministry. Brethren, this ought not to be so. You ought not to bite and devour one another. You know, I often joke, you know, when I got born again, I was so in love with the Lord. He gave me these, you know, seven-foot gold angel wings until the backbiters bit them off, you know. <laughs> and so, you know, you, I, somebody once said to me, you know, hey, I, the only problem with the church is the people. If we can get rid of them, man, we'd have a perfect church. Jesus had seven churches in the book of Revelation he dealt with. Each one he gave encouragement to, but then he also, you know, basically corrected. It's possible that a true Christian can miss it on occasion and give a false word. That doesn't make them any more a false prophet than when somebody who's, someone who's young in the Lord misunderstands or fails to properly teach a biblical doctrine would be a false teacher. They would. Nevertheless, we should strive to study to show ourselves approved unto God. 2 Timothy 2.15, King James Version. So we can discern or distinguish the false from the genuine in both prophecy and in doctrine. Jesus left the burden on us to discern or distinguish and has given us the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, as a gift that we get at salvation. The spirit of truth bears witness that we are children of God. What's important here is to remember that if someone misses it when prophesying, we are not to condemn them but restore them. At the same time, we should never receive a polluted word from anyone for any reason. Discerning the true from the false. When a bank teller is first trained, or bank tellers are first trained to detect counterfeit currency, they're not exposed to the counterfeit bills until they've been thoroughly trained first of the genuine. For example, a new teller is placed in a counting room and handles only genuine money for approximately two weeks. At the end of this training, when they're comfortable with the genuine, some counterfeit money is interspersed and placed among the stacks of bills to test them to see if they can now identify these counterfeits among the genuine. The wheat and the tares grow together, don't they? When the teller comes across a counterfeit biller, they're now able to easily detect something is different about this bill. It feels different. It may look a little different. It might look identical, but the weight is not the same. The paper's not the same. There's something the way the stickiness, there's something not right about the counterfeit bill. Here's what the bank teller does. As they're in this counting room learning how to discern the genuine from the counterfeit, they pull that bill and they put it aside. And then, at the end, they're tested on the ones that they found and the ones they didn't. They could actually pull a genuine bill out and think it's false. And they could actually miss a counterfeit bill and it's still in the stack. This is how they're able to determine. And what will happen is, you know, when I was in another business, we counted a lot of cash. I could spot counterfeit because it felt different. And when you count thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, 
you get a feel. And in the trade that I was in before I got born again, about 30% of the counterfeit money in the world is in that business. They try to slip it in. And so you'd have to distinguish and either take a loss on it or tell them, take this money, I want new money back, or you just don't do business with them again. You have to burn that stuff because you don't want to end up in jail as a counterfeiter when you're already doing another crime, right? <laughs> anyway, tell the truth, shame the devil. That's not advice, that's just, you know, that was, that's how it was. Anyway, so what happens is uh, a bank teller is able to detect something's different about this bill. It's then pulled out for closer examination or to put in a stack on the side away from the genuine bills. It's the same way with prophecy. We teach on genuine prophecy and services on Wednesday night. We often have words, we prophesy, and there's a presence of God that comes with the prophecy that's tangible, that people can feel. And we're gonna get into uh, some discerning uh, confirmation signs of real prophecy. Okay, so the same is true when discerning the, the gift of true prophecy from the false or the counterfeit. We don't learn to discern the false by studying the false. We learn to discern or distinguish the false by studying the genuine. Once we've had our senses exercised to discern both good and evil, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 5, 13 and 14, it says, then we can easily detect the false and be fully equipped to discern both good and evil. Hebrews 5, 14, King James Version. So confirmation signs of genuine prophecy. I'm just gonna give five, there's not only five, but I just wanna say this first. Do you know how many different types of counterfeit money there are? All kinds, all kinds. You know how much real money there is? There's one kind. So the Federal Reserve prints one kind of money, and you know, every maybe X amount, 20 years, they'll, they'll change it, and then they'll take those other bills out of circulation, and the heads grow bigger and this and that, and then uh, you'll be able to recognize them. I remember when I got out of prison, the heads on the bills had grown very, very big. Very, very big. I just couldn't believe how big the heads had grown. I thought it was counterfeit money. When they handed me some, I'm like, well, this can't be real money. This isn't what money looks like. And so uh, that's the reality of it. My phone was making noise, and I'm like, what, what is that? <laughs> so I want to make sure. Okay, so confirmation signs of genuine prophecy. Uh, so you don't study all the different types of counterfeits to learn what the counterfeit is. You study the genuine, and anything that doesn't line up with the one standard is obviously not the standard. And so you separate that. And so I don't know what's going on on my phone, but we'll just continue to. I had some notes on there. Number one. The presence of the Lord accompanies the word given. When a prophetic word comes forth, the presence of God confirms the word. You can feel the sweet presence or the authority of the Holy Spirit or the love of God comes with the word. Number two, the word that's given will be strength, begins, uh, gives strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Uh, we were back, back in Kansas City and Joanna had ministered to this woman and, uh, she had prayed over her and went in the, the timeline and broke fractures off and some other things. And long story short, here's what happened. Then somebody had encouraged the woman who'd been delivered of emotional torment and this and that. It turns out there had been tremendous trauma, tremendous abuse from age two, things that I wouldn't even want to talk about, that were so bad and so horrific, but I didn't know any of these things. And somebody said, go back and have you know Pastor David pray for you. So she came up. And the Lord told me to look her in the eyes and say, 
you will not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. And when I said that, she looked at me and he said, say it again. And I said, you will not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. And her eyes opened up a little bit as if she could receive a kind of a body, soul, spirit. And he said, say it a third time. So I looked at her and I looked at her in the eyes and I said, the Lord tells me to tell you, you shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. And her eyes opened up and it went into her spirit man like when Nathan ate the honey and the presence of God confirmed the word. What I didn't know is she'd been given a death sentence. She had like a three and a half foot clot from her knee all the way up into her neck and they didn't expect her to live uh, out her days. And I broke that off of her and uh, in the name of Jesus and commanded it to dissolve. Two days later, she went back to the doctor. The doctor was amazed because the uh, everything was working. I mean, I, he wanted to put her in a special study because the medicine was working, but it wasn't working with anybody else but her. And so, uh, anyway, she said it's not the medicine. Jesus healed her. Anyway, so praise God for that. But that's an example of a prophetic word hearing from God and speaking to men. So the presence of the Lord accompanies the word given. The word brings strength, encouragement, and comfort. You shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. So when that word of knowledge came up from the Lord and I obeyed the Lord, he had me speak the same word three times to get through the flesh, through the soul, and into the spirit. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? So you see how Jesus even spoke things three times. Number three, the word exalts Jesus. The word exalts Jesus. It doesn't exalt a man. It doesn't exalt a denomination. It doesn't exalt a political leader. It exalts Jesus that may be working through the denomination, may be working through the man, may be working through the political leader, but the focus is it exalts Jesus. Number four, the word brings peace or shalom to the heart. The word of God bypasses our understanding, fills and floods our soul. And number five, the word is in line with scripture. The word will line up with the canonized scripture, the B-I-B-L-E, the basic instructions before leaving earth, the trusty 66 books of the Bible. Warning signs on the opposite of a false prophecy. Warning signs of a false prophecy. The presence of God is absent when the word is given. In other words, somebody gives a word, but it's dead. It's cold. It's absent. And you're like, where is the presence of God in this thing? Number two, the word brings fear, disillusionment, or confusion. The word brings fear, false evidence appearing real, disillusionment, you don't know what you're going to do, or confusion. God is not the author of confusion. Now, just because you don't understand the word doesn't mean it's not from God. You'll find that it comes to pass later on. You're like, now I understand. But confusion is like disillusionment, confusion, or fear. And then number three, the word exalts man or an organization or something else instead of Jesus. Or it exalts money over the Lord. Number four, the word brings condemnation instead of Holy Spirit conviction. Do you know the difference? Conviction draws you to repentance. Condemnation feels like you're not worthy to even go before the Lord. The word also, number five, draws men to the prophet instead of the Lord when it's a false prophecy. 
and I could give you some examples of that where people want you to align yourself with them instead of the Lord and you happen to be part of what God is doing in that moment as a man or a woman of God. Number six, the, the, the false word is refuted by the guideline of Scripture. A lot of times people come up to me and say, Lord told me to tell you this. And I'd be like, wow, immediately Scriptures come into remembrance that contradict what they're saying. And I say to them, wow, I'm kind of curious. The Bible says this. Would you explain to me a little bit more about what you sense the Lord is speaking in light of that verse? And they'll just kind of pause. Well, uh, and then they'll change the prophetic word. Or they'll adjust it. And then another verse will come up. And I'll say, well, how do you square that with this scripture? Well, well, you just go pray about it. I said, okay, thank you so much. I'll, I'll go pray about it. And it's out the door. Remember, so you always have to have uh, confirmation of scripture if the scripture refutes it. See, God will never violate the scriptures. He may violate your interpretation of it, though. Amen or ouch. How many here or online believe certain things and then later on you found out that's not what the scripture meant? You even quoted the verse before. You know, I remember reading, you know, this kind talking about casting out demons. This kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. I read that verse, you know, and I was like, this kind of demon, I better fast because it's a stubborn demon or this demon and this and that. And Jesus gave us authority over all demons. But here's the thing. It's not the demon that comes out with prayer and fasting. It's unbelief. Because we can cast out any demon with faith. Instead, we have to fast and pray to get the unbelief out of us because they're cast out by faith. So in other words, there's another interesting scripture just an example. Uh, the false word, number seven, is earthly, soulish, or demonic in nature. See James 3.15. This type of wisdom cometh not down from above, but from beneath. It is earthly, soulish, and devilish, or demonic. James 3.15. And number eight, the false word produces anxiety or distress instead of peace. That make sense? Okay, progression of false prophets. We're going to talk about Cain, Balaam, and Korah. While we all fall short in some areas, there are three basic character flaws from which those called to prophetic ministry must be delivered to stay on the path of life and true ministry. Now, here's what's interesting. When we're on the path in true ministry, we're going to grow in faith from faith to faith, strength to strength. The path's going to grow brighter and brighter. We're going to mature in the Lord. We're going to mature in fruit. We're going to mature in the love, the joy, and the peace. We're maybe shaken, but not greatly shaken. We're not greatly moved. Whereas something rattled us initially, it doesn't rattle us anymore because we already know the character of God in the process. And so I'll give you an example. When I was in the martial arts, moving up in the belt ranks before I was born again, um, you know, when I was a, a yellow belt or a white belt, I would get hit sparring in the ring and it would disillusion me. And I would lose my bearings and I'd come back and I'd fight some more. And as I went up in belt ranks, by the time I hit like orange or high orange, now all of a sudden I'd get hit and you know, this and that. By the time I hit purple, I'm like, you know, I'm faster than that person. They don't hit as hard as me. I'll take one to give one. To close the gap, I'd let them hit me so that I could hit them because I knew I could slip the punch. By the time I hit ground, green belt and high green, now all of a sudden 
it became slingshot and this and that I could feel. It. And by the time I went to brown belt and I'm teaching, now all of a sudden you gotta be careful with the brown belts and the black belts because they know that too. Anyway, the point is when you first learn, you get disillusioned by the enemy. You get hit in the ring, but as you get higher belt ranks in the Lord, you grow from grace to grace and faith to faith. What happens is you recognize the ways of the enemy and you just expect him to show up. Like right now, our uh, Africa evangelist in Nigeria, Israel Agre, uh, we just uh, helped fund. Uh, thank you guys for the support. Money came in for that, and we just had an extension of another 10 days of ministry over in Ethley Village, about 360 miles outside of Lagos, Nigeria, the capital city there, where they had no running water, no electricity, average income, $300 to $500 a year, which doctors, human sacrifices have stopped. About 21,000 came to Jesus in the process, 55 surrounding villages representing 2.1 million people. So Israel, our evangelist who's Nigerian, born there, led about 12 million people to Jesus in the rural areas since 1998. You know, he's a thoroughbred in the Lord. So he had text messaged me. We didn't have much cell phone signal, so we couldn't talk on WhatsApp or video, but he got off a text. Then he said, you know, we need more. This is how many souls have come to the Lord. They're coming from the surrounding villages to hear about Jesus. And uh, so we got us more money for food, for victuals and supplies for his team of 20. And uh, we had dug the water well, you know, last year. And, Fresh water came up 798 feet down, and now they've got water in the village, and we bought four acres of land over there. And so, you know, they're going to build a ministry center. All this stuff's going on. And he said to me, he says, pray for me. He says, the witch doctors have now conspired. They're getting together, and the witch doctors that hate each other are coming into unity because during a time of war, your enemy's enemy is your friend, right? And so they're coming together, and they're going to come and try to put their dark arts on me. But the Lord has instructed my team and I to pray from midnight till three. And he said these words. He says, I feel sorry for them. <laughs> See, when you have confidence in the Lord after 45 years of ministry and seeing people use the dark arts against you with high-level witchcraft that kills people and it bounces off the shield of faith and they reap what they sow and it strikes them dead and they're in hell. And then you pray for two hours for them to be raised from the dead and they come back and become great evangelists unto the Lord. Sometimes the Lord says eternity is set. They've made their choice. Don't pray for them. It's done. So he's seen a lot of people. But when you have that kind of history with God, you're not greatly moved when these attacks come. Because you're no longer a white belt or a yellow belt or an orange belt or a purple belt or a green belt. You're a brown belt or a black belt or you got some more... You grow in the Lord. I'm not using a karate illustration that I'm endorsing karate. I'm just using an illustration from life that I lived pre-salvation that I learned. It was the same in wrestling. And when I, you know, was a young wrestler, I'd get, you know, prospect. But then when I was, you know, district champ and all these other things and co-captain of the team, I learned my opponent and nothing bothered me. Nothing. So... While we're, we all fall short in these areas, there's three basic character flaws from those which are called to perfect ministry grow in. And so we must recognize that each one of these flaws involves selfishness. Every prophetic minister who becomes false has selfishness at the core of it. And so if you're selfless, it's easy to prophesy accurately. If you're selfish, you'll twist a prophecy that's real. I'll give you an example. Uh, a friend of mine who was very selfless, he's gone on to be with the Lord, Prophet Dan, 
he would go into cities. He, he went 50 cities, 50 days. God gave him uh, miraculous signs. So he would like be preaching, calling the churches to repentance. And what would happen is, and if you're listening on audio or video and you're hearing a bunch of noise in the background, we're in central Florida right now. And I think the, the reason that my phone keeps going off, which it's never done before, is we're probably in some sort of a terrible warning of thunderstorms and this and that. So uh, we're going to stay on the lookout <laughs> on, on something coming in so we're not in hurricane weather. Because it's, uh, it's pretty strong right now. It's not normal. So now I understand the dings, the dings, the dings that are going on. So you're on video, pray for us, and God, what's it say? It's all red on somebody's phone. Thank God for, for that. Okay, so we're going to get through this teaching, and we're going to, what's that? It says duck? Okay. So, let me know when to duck. Father, we thank you for your power that's made perfect in our weakness. We thank you for the divine protective hedge and on wisdom if we're supposed to leave. We also rebuke this storm for the protection of others in Jesus' name. So, each of these selfish flaws. So my friend Dan, he prophesied to this uh, person, he says, this time next year you're going to find oil on your property. It will be $1.3 million in value. You're to sell it and you're to pay off your church to where you're debt free. That was a selfless prophecy. The man said, well, I, we don't have any oil on our property. He says, you need to have them come out and check. Sure enough, they found $1.3 They sold it. They paid off their church. They were debt-free, and they used it as a center of outreach. So God paid off the church. It wasn't, hey, you need to buy the property from the church that they don't know that there's oil on. Give them a minuscule amount for it. You'll own it legally. Have them come. Find the oil. You'll have 1.3 million and you'll be able to buy yourself a million dollar house and feel free to sow 300,000 into my ministry. That would be a selfish prophecy, but a selfless one was kingdom minded. I know of another prophet who told somebody else they were about to get 1.6 million out of inheritance. They said, I don't have any rich relatives. He says, I'm telling you, 1.6 million is coming. It was a true word. But they took a true word and then they attached a personal selfishness to it. And they said, and when you get the 1.6 million, you're supposed to sow 10% into my ministry. Let God tell them. Teach them how to hear his voice. And so what happened was the person did get the 1.6 million. They didn't feel like they were supposed to sow into that prophet's life. They sow it into somebody else's and the prophet then cursed them. That's witchcraft. Pentecostal charismatic witchcraft. So if they had just waited upon the Lord, the Lord would have either spoken to that person to sow into their ministry to pay off their $160,000 house and they'd have been debt free at that time. Now I don't think you can get a, a shoebox for $160,000. But at that time, my point is when you're selfless, God will then add unto you and blessing of the Lord make it rich and add it no sorrow with it. Things are flying around now. Okay, so these people are spots in your love feast, the book of Jude says in 1, 12. Jude chapter 1, verse 12. These are spots in your love feast within church gatherings. So false prophets are amongst you. Wheat and tares grow together. We're wheat. The terrors are the false one. Do you want to know what the difference is between, between a wheat and a terror? They look the same on the surface early on. Yep, they look the same on the surface early on. 
but a tear has three times the root structure of a wheat. So they suck up all the water and all the life, and they limit and hinder the wheat's growth. Interesting, isn't it? So false prophets will be amongst you. They'll suck the life out of you and hinder you from growing. Isn't that crazy? They feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds. Winds are doctrines. Trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit, twice dead, plucked out by the roots. I want to highlight something for you here. These people are in the church. They feast with you, and they don't have any fear about it. They've lost the fear of God. They're clouds without water. They no longer have that infilling love of the Holy Spirit. They're carried about with winds. They're always off on the latest doctrine. Winds blowing around. They're trees whose fruit withereth. Now, you can't have fruit that withers unless you have fruit to start with it, can you? You ever seen a tree that withers with the fruit on the tree? It does. And you're like, it never really grew out, and it withered, and it never bore fruit. Whose fruit withereth, and then without fruit, twice dead. How are you going to be twice dead unless you were first once born again? How are you going to be twice dead unless you were first once born again? Twice dead, plucked up by the roots, of whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. So I'm just giving a very strong message here that if you're into prophesying instead of prophesying, if you're into selfishness instead of selflessness, and you're attaching things to prophecies, and you have a real gift of prophecy, but then you manipulate it for personal gain, you could end up with fruit that then withers, you could be without fruit, and you could be twice dead, and end up in a place that's the blackness of darkness forever. So these are things to consider when you're using your God-given gift. And most dangerous prophets that are false have a genuine gift. We're going to get into that. Today in the 21st century church, we're seeing a restoration of the prophetic gifts. Simultaneously, we're witnessing a restoration of the counterfeit gifting, both inside and outside the church. While those who practice astrology, tarot card, and crystal ball reading are clearly false in their ministry, it's more difficult to discern or distinguish those who speak falsely within the church when they do it in the name of the Lord. Recently, my wife, somebody said, and in church, they said, we want uh, so-and-so to pray for you. They're so anointed, this and that. And as the woman began to pray over my wife, Joanna, I saw another woman stand about eight feet away behind her, like as an intercessor and a support one. And I said, that woman is a witch. And I spotted the nature. And she was like trying to flick stuff onto Joanna with the witchiness. And Joanna was picking something up but didn't see who was behind her. And my wife has 360 vision in the, in the spirit, so she'll see stuff. She's tough to get one by. But I was there to protect in the realm of the spirit that which was taking place. And I, we, we attend a great church, but that doesn't mean that you can control everybody that walks through the front door from doing weird stuff. So I was, and, and they, that, the woman had prayed for me and the other woman says, you just weren't open. And I'm thinking, I wasn't open because my spirit was on high alert that there's something wrong in Little Rivertown right now. And what will happen with me is how I get it, my spirit man will light up like 
Warning, Will Robertson, danger, danger, danger. Danger, Will Robertson, danger, danger, danger. <laughs> and so what I do is I just put up my shield and I put on my armor and I declare no way. I begin to pray to my, because sometimes you'll be pushed into situations. You don't want to be rude. And you get the chance to find out, you know, where people are at in the spirit. And if you have a brown belt or a black belt in the spirit, uh, an orange belt's probably not going to get one over on you. However, if you're looking the other direction, an orange belt can knock you out, right? So you also have to be discerning. Anyway, so afterwards, Joanna said, that wasn't right. I said, no. And she says, was there a witch behind me? I said, yeah. She said, were you praying? I said, yeah. And she's like, yeah, let's get out of here. Anyway, she just shake it off. We went and ate lunch. But one time I had a, uh, yeah, just, you know, test everything, hold fast to that, which is good. And, you know, we're kind to the people when we see them. Are they immature Christians? Do they think they're doing God a service? Or are they witches hiding in the ministry and they've slithered in on their bellies like serpents? You know, that's for God to decide. But would we allow those people to pray for us again? Heavens no. Heavens no. We'd like to pray for them, though. Come out in the name of Jesus, you pastor. But, but the reality is they need inner healing. And at some point, you know, God will reveal that. We need discernment in the church, and pastors have to have discernment. So we don't reject prophesying. We pray without ceasing. We test everything. We hold fast to that which is good. We don't, you know, eat the bones, but we spit out the bones. And we eat the chicken, we eat the grapes, spit out the seeds. We don't throw the baby out with the bath water. Bath water. And we also have to recognize when somebody's immature and they miss it. I mean, we also have to recognize just because somebody uh, is accurate doesn't make them a prophet. A broke watch is right twice a day, right? And, and, a, and a true watch can get off time. So, okay, today in the 21st century, we've got to recognize this. It's more difficult to discern those who speak falsely within the church in the name of the Lord. Hopefully these three basic character flaws from the lives of Cain, Balaam, and Korah. Cain, Balaam, and Korah will prevent us from making the same mistakes when using our God-given gifts of prophecy because we're a prophetic people. So you've got Cain who's self-willed, you've got Balaam who's self-seeking, and you've got Korah who's self-exalting. Notice self is in all three. Instead of selfless, they're selfish. So Cain was who? Abel's brother. Cain represents those who are plagued with the character flaw of self-will. His name literally translated means fabricator or maker or one who makes his own way. So Cain will make his own way. He's unteachable. If you remember the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis 4, Cain attempted to fulfill the sacrifice to God in his own way. Abel, on the other hand, his brother offered a correct sacrifice and was pleasing unto God. When God tried to bring correction to Cain, directing him to the proper way of sacrifice, Cain rejected God's way and continued with his own. Result, Cain was cast out of the presence of God and became a wanderer the remainder of his life after murdering his brother Abel, who did it the right way. Cain is symbolic of the unteachable spirit in the church that pervades the church and makes its own way instead of submitting to the way and plans of God for his life. The same spirit eventually leads to self-pity, depression, anger, even murder. If the spirit is in your life, recognize it, repent of it, renounce it, and resist it. You choose not to respond to the correction of the Lord, but you act like Cain. 
Sin is crouching at your door and seeks to have you. It doesn't end well. Genesis 4, 7. Don't open the door or you'll end up in the land of non, which literally translated means land of wandering, finding no rest. Christians with the spirit of Cain go from church to church or conference to conference, but continue to remain outside of the presence of God, wandering aimlessly in the land of Nod. Deliverance from this spiritual state is just a prayer away and leads us back into the presence of the living God where the spiritual rest and refreshing flow like rivers of water. People will come and, oh, I want to attend your Bible study, your church. I want to be fully committed, this and that. I'll be like, oh, where do you come from? Oh, we want to sow our tithes here. We want to do this. We want to do that. I'm like, where do you come from? Well, we were in this church. Well, how many churches have you been in the last five years? Oh, we just haven't been able to find a good church. It's a wandering spirit. It's a cane spirit. It's unteachable. As much as they say they're committed to you, they are not committed to you because they're not committed to the Lord. And here's what's going to happen. If you give them a position of prominence or power or prestige, they're going to rip your church right down the middle. It's because who they are because they're self-willed and they're unteachable. And here's how you can tell you're submitted to authority. When authority tells you to do something that you don't like and you do it anyway, that's submission. It's easy to submit when the authority is telling you what you want to hear and what you want to do. But when somebody comes in and says, the Lord told me I'm supposed to be part of the intercession team, I'm supposed to take over, I'm supposed to be over the Bible ministry, and I'm supposed to do this and that and the whole nine yards, and you know, I'm supposed to be your assistant pastor, oh, that's great. Here, I got it. Let's get you started. Oh, that's great. You go hand them a toilet brush. And you're like, here you go. Welcome to the ministry. Well, I don't clean toilets. Well, then I guess you're not a pastor. You probably don't wash feet either. And that normally ends their ministerial, you know, tenure in your ministry because they can't pass. Because when authority asks you to do something that you don't want to do, if you don't want to do it, you won't submit because really it's a spirit of rebellion. You can't even pass the test. Person that you know tries to say they passed a test when they haven't, they're still in it, they don't give a testimony, it's just a money instead of a testimony. Okay, Balaam, uh, devourer of the people or conqueror of the people. He's self seeking. Balaam represents those who are plagued with the character flaw of self seeking. His name, Balaam, literally translated means devourer of the people or conqueror of the people. Balaam had the genuine gift of prophecy but used his God given gift for purposes of selfish gain. He used his gifting to obtain riches and glory for himself at the expense of God's people. He eventually ended up worse off than Cain. He was murdered in battle and died as a soothsayer in battle, Joshua 13.22. Balaam gave seven oracles or prophecies that were so accurate they're still in canonized scripture today. And one of them was even of the coming of Messiah. So he had such a high level gifting but he used it for personal gain. And he ended up in the smoking section for eternity. Ouch. The spirit of Balaam serves self, not the sheep. His goal is personal gain. He uses his gifting for the purpose of personal gain in one of four main areas. This Balaam spirit is the most dangerous because he prophesies accurately. So you're like, my gosh, and the presence of God is even on the prophecy because it's an accurate prophetic word. But remember, there's spots in your love feast, feeding themselves without fear. But then what happens? Uses it for personal gain. So you can prophesy one minute and prophesy the next. Or mix a prophecy. You're going to get 1.6 million. You're supposed to sow 10% into my ministry. 
Instead of you're going to find oil, you're going to do this. God's going to pay off your church and this and that. And just so you know, that one prophet, he did get a $10,000 offering from the person that he prophesied the $1.3 million in oil on his land. Because that's what he needed at that moment. And God did pay off that. And then God used that church at a later time in a very powerful way. So the spirit of Balaam serves self, not the sheep. His or her goal is personal gain. Jezebel is another one that does the same thing. And he uses his gifting for the purpose of personal gain in one of four main areas. Financial gain, political gain, emotional gain, or sexual gain. When you have false prophets, what happens is because of the selfishness and the wounds inside, what will happen is they'll either want gold, glory, or girls. Or they might be into guys. They'll want power, position, or prominence. They love the praise of men more than the praise of God. And those are the things that are endemic because of selfishness. And as we grow in gifting, if we don't grow in character at the same rate, we're going to have problems. There's been a number of occasions where people have called me on the phone and said, David, the Lord told me to give a certain amount of money to your ministry. And I'm thinking, wow, praise God. I remember one time I was, the Lord told me to give $50,000 to your ministry. I was like, wow, praise God. The Lord says, it's not me. I'm like, I rebuke you, Satan. <laughs> And I said, you know, to the person, I said, you know, the Lord just spoke to me that that's, that's not, not his willing. So I just, you know, had a, and the guy was a millionaire. And he said, no, I, I 50,000. And I said, listen, I'd really like to take the money. I'd really like to use it for Bibles or prisoners, personal use for you know, salary or whatever. I said, but the Lord told me that this is not him. And I said, I want it to be, but it's not. And he said to me, he said, wow. He says, you're the first minister I've ever called on the phone that I've sewn into that told me not to donate. He says, you're a breath of fresh air. He said, I had this $100,000 CD come due. He said, I was going to take 50 and put it over here and 50 into your ministry because you've been such a blessing to me. The Lord healed me of three things and got me delivered in some other areas. I said, man, I really like to take the money, but I don't want to disobey God. Well, next thing I know, I started receiving consulting checks in the mail. They're like 3,500 a piece. Went on for like six months. And first day I called him, like, hey, one of your uh, staff members sent me a check by accident. He said, oh, no accident. And I said, well, it, it said I'm on salary with, he had 50 employees. See how we got a position open. He says, uh, $3,500 my position. He says, I am, I'm, I'm a hire you for consulting. I said, well, I'm not, I'm not really consulting with you. He said, yeah, you answer the phone, you answer, answer Bible questions. And this and that. And he said, I, well, I would do that for free. I, I do that for free. He said, I know. But the workman is worthy of his hire. So that was the way God wanted to do it in my life, which was outside the ministry in the marketplace. When I obeyed God in one area, God then blessed me in another. And then he grew in faith. We were like Jonathan and David until uh, God brought him this godly wife. And then she wanted him free from all of his old friends. And uh, I kind of got grouped into that group, um, not not fairly, but he went on, and you know it's a great man of God. So that's an example of not allowing selfishness or personal gain to get in the way with the prophecy. And I had uh, two women want to buy me Mercedes Benz convertibles, and uh, I had respectfully told them, no, it's back in 2009, 2010. I think they wanted to sit in the passenger side. And, uh, and so I said no. And eventually, 
an older woman came to me. She said, David, the Lord told me that you need uh, an upgrade in your automobile. And I said, and it was the Lord. Now, it wasn't a Mercedes-Benz convertible, but it was a very, very reasonable car. And then it got somebody else involved who blessed me with a special deal. This and that, that car took me 158,000 miles carrying ministers of the gospel from the airport to preach. And God did amazing things, winning souls and this and that. And I ended up selling that car. But see, there's the blessing of the Lord maketh rich and he addeth no sorrow with it. I could call and raise money for Africa and beat the bushes, beat the trees, but I won't do it. I will send out text messages to the people that the Lord directs me to and the money will come in just like that because it's by the Lord and I won't even ask him for money. All I will do is share what's going on in the fruit and they'll call me. Do they need more money? We want to participate or do they have a need or this is what their need is. Let me know if the Lord speaks to you because if you teach people how to hear his voice, the rest is easy because it's him in relationship with them hearing directly and they call you and tell you what God says along with the check and that's a pass through and it goes and wins souls. We're actually winning souls for about a dollar a head right now. I mean, it's amazing. You know, you could win, it's probably gonna see 10,000 come to Christ on this one in about, you know, three weeks of, of crusades. You know, you can have bigger crusades. We've seen as many as 170,000 come. Remember a crusade in 2011 and at that time, the Lord gave me a message called, Brother, Can You Spare a Dime? And we actually won souls for a dime a head. He had me get a roll of dimes. I've never done this before since. He said, go get two rolls of dimes. Put a dime on every chair. And he says, put a roll of dimes on the table. So before I preached, I said, hey, brother, can you spare a dime? You want to drop a dime on the devil? I said, everybody has a dime in their chair. And they're like holding their dime. I'm like, what is this? I said, this represents a soul in Africa right now. Everything's already paid for except generator fuel. And they said, generator fuel? Yeah, we're going to light up the K-27 generators and crusades going on. And I said, if you want to donate $5, I said, this is a roll of dimes. I said, it represents $5 in parking. It represents Starbucks caramel macchiato um, with the caramel over the top and the whipped cream uh, without a tip for five bucks. Or it represents 50 souls, and if you'd like to participate, you know, and like $17,000 came in over that weekend supernaturally. I mean, I never got an offering like that, but because there was vision, we don't raise funds, we raise faith, and people connect with the vision and the faith, and they want to sow because God's speaking to them, not because they're being manipulated from the pulpit. Does that help at all? So... Anyway, here we are so into Africa. Let us know. We'll tell you when the next one's happening. Okay, so Balaam started off as a true prophet of God. God personally came to see Balaam, see Numbers 22.9. However, he was tempted to merchandise his gift to curse Israel. So he was going to allow a pagan king to pay him to use his gift to curse. You know, I, I got to share something with you. Once you start to operate in the realm of the spirit, and you understand the principles of the kingdom to curse cancers and to command them to drive and to die and for deaf ears to pop open and to, to bind the word of God to somebody and loose demons off of somebody or loose the word of God into somebody's life. You understand the principles of binding and loosing biblically. Then if you backslide, you still have that understanding of the kingdom. You can misuse your gift and turn into it like a warlock. And I've seen people backslide out of bitterness, this and that. I'm like, bro, don't try that with me. I'm not a yellow belt. 
And I've had people say, I said, don't do it. I walk with the Lord, and you used to. Pick somebody else. I'm not a lukewarm Christian. I had people in the dark arts come to me, and we'll do this and that. I'm like, I'm not a lukewarm Christian. No weapon formed against me will prosper. Not in an arrogant way, but a respectful way. When the shield of faith goes up with Israel Agre, when they come and they do the dark arts, it literally bounces off the shield of faith, and it ricochets, and they get strokes and this and that, because the evil that they intend to do to him comes back on them. So, God still used Balaam. The very fact that he could be tempted in this area speaks volumes as to Balaam's self-serving, self-seeking character flaw. God still used Balaam, but not to curse Israel. Instead, he prophesied blessings on Israel and the presence of an evil king named Balak of Moab. The spirit of Balaam is genuinely gifted by God and can be used by God one moment and then used by self or the devil the next. My wife and I uh, recently ran into a situation. <laughs> she did this amazing conference. And right before the power and the presence of God fell, somebody that we had actually gifted tickets to did like this 911 text and like told women to leave that we were in a new age and all this weird stuff. And I mean, it was like something out of a, a movie because these are people that are believers. And then Joanna eventually got an email and it was, you know, Joanna's doctrine was off and this and that. Joanna did a masterful job in not losing her composure, not being greatly moved. And what happened was God vindicated Joanna and we had video footage of everything. We submitted to authority in some other areas and that whole thing kind of reversed and backfired. But the enemy came to sow discord among the brothers. Here's what happened. A woman was healed of MS, another one of a frozen shoulder. Three women didn't go home and divorce their husbands. Another was healed of trauma. Another one got their sight back. I mean, the fruit of what happened next clearly contradicts the warning, the 911, that's new age, they're false teachers, this and that. Just the opposite was the case because the person that was used to influence that little group pulled young white belts and yellow belts that had just been born again out of the presence of God. And then somebody else went and rescued and three of them stayed. This is what happens in ministry when you're flowing at the higher levels. But you have to just expect it, walk through it, forgive and move on and realize people are immature and then a lot of times there's cleanup and you have to walk through it. Sometimes it takes, you know, just minutes. Sometimes it's months. Sometimes it's years before people realize what happened. But a tree is known by its fruit. Beware of the spirit of Balaam and the body of Christ and don't fall prey to its ministry or stronghold when it comes in your direction. The root sin of this spirit is greed at the expense of others. It's either a predator or a parasite, but it has an entitlement spirit. It doesn't want to go make money. It wants some of yours. It wants to be a parasite to latch onto the host and add no real value to it. A lot of religious activity, a lot of profit line. Doesn't have a lot of anointing. It's just very annoying. But somehow it will manipulate. You can see how it gravitates toward people. Or it'll be a predator and it will steal from you in bulk instead of take from you on what you measure out to it piece by piece as a parasite. Anyway, left unchecked, the character flaw of Balaam can destroy a prophetically gifted man or woman of God. It will take them to an eternity in hell and destroy other people's lives in the process. Core, the final one, self-exaltation. Let me just re revisit these. Cain is self-willed. He's a maker or fabricator, one who makes his own way. He killed Abel. Balaam, self-seeking. He 
ran greedily in the air of Balaam for reward. The book of Jude said, these are spots in your face. Devourer of the people or conqueror of the people. He is an entitlement spirit predator. He doesn't go make things. He takes yours and he trades you for false prophecies. Or he tells a real prophecy and wants a piece of the action. And now we're going to go to the final one, which is Korah, which means bald or uncovered. He refuses to submit to godly authority. Remember, it's easy to submit to authority as long as you agree with it. Thank God the rain is gone. So Korah is bald or uncovered, refusal to submit to godly authority, self-exaltation. Korah represents those who are plagued with the character flaw of self-exaltation. Glory be to me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity. Okay, no, that's, okay, that's. Korah's name literally translated means bald or uncovered. This is symbolic of one who has no spiritual covering by choice or one who refuses to submit to God-ordained authority within the church. When I was in prison for 20 years, I had to submit to guards' authority, staff members' authority. I had to submit to chaplains' authority. And I didn't always like it, but I did it under the Lord. And then God would promote me. That's why I get pulled over by a police officer. I'm always respectful. I'm fortunate. I haven't had a ticket. Not bragging, just saying by grace. Of course, I obey you know, the laws. And then if something does come up, I get pulled over. Yes, sir. No, sir. Look them in the eyes. I remember one time I got pulled over something I really didn't do. And uh, I was falsely accused. I'm thinking, my gosh, that's not true. But I can't argue with this officer and call him a liar. And I said, sir, I said, if I did that, I said, I certainly am unaware of it. And if I did that, I certainly deserve to be pulled over and written a citation for that. And he looked at me, that's right, you do. And I said, and I'm confident that you were in a better position to see than me because I wasn't looking at me. I was looking at the traffic. You were looking at me. So I have to submit to your authority and your perspective. And I'm also confident that your dash cam will support that position. <laughs> anyway, that was 15 minutes. He was in the car and he came back and he had kind of a, and I don't mean to disrespect this individual, kind of a Barney Five attitude with the bullet in the pocket and, you know, anyway, I, yeah, I'm not going to write your ticket. I'm going to give you a, thank you so much, sir. I appreciate that. But I remember I had a ball cap on and what I did is I took the ball cap off so that he could see my eyes and I looked through and, and uh, anyway, so there's a way that you can submit to authority even when you don't agree with it. You don't challenge authority, but you stand your ground. And when I use the word, he's right, he was in a better perspective, and I'm confident his dash cam will support his position. That changed his position. Because now he has to submit to the authority of the dash cam, and he knows I'm going to court, and I'm going to find out what was on the dash cam, because I know I didn't do it. Anyway, so that's a, a balanced way of honoring and respecting while still standing with truth. So the spirit, of course, serves self like no, like the other two examples of Cain and also Balaam. But this spirit is rooted in rebellion against authority. In Numbers chapter 16, Korah resisted the authority of Moses and rallied 250 other leaders to rebel against God's anointed leader. Can you imagine rebelling against Moses? Ten plagues, staff of authority, parts the sea, water comes from the rock, manna from the sky, and you're going to come against that dude? 
What are you, crazy? But Korah was genuinely anointed by God. He took 250 princes and turned up. Lucifer took a third of heaven and turned the angels against God the Father. Korah has the same spirit in him. But instead of getting kicked out of heaven to the earth, Korah ends up swallowed up in the earth for doing it. I want to tell you what a prince is. A prince in the Old Testament in the wilderness, there's like 3 million people there. So 250 princes, a prince was over 1,000. That means a quarter of a million Israelites turned against Moses. One guy with a demon spirit in him of rebellion and jealousy turned a quarter of a million people against God's man in the wilderness. After the God used the man to deliver them out of slavery and bondage under Pharaoh. Anyway, just to put things in perspective, this spirit not only resists the authority of God, but also encourages others to rebel with it. That person who sent that 911 text message in my wife's conference, she pulled people out and tried to turn women against my wife because she was jealous of the anointing and the glory that was falling on the women. So instead of women getting free, she wanted to keep them in bondage so that she could keep them in her own little cup. Isn't that crazy? We see her every week. Anyway, in the church. This spirit not only resists the authority of God, but also encourages others to rebel with it. This spirit can bring quick destruction to a church congregation or itself when judgment falls from heaven. Numbers 16, 30 and 32. Don't end up in hell. It's interesting to note that Korah was a renowned and famous man in Israel and that he was clearly anointed by God as one of the Lord's prophets. For all we know, he may have even been more gifted than Moses. He may have been the one that was being raised up to take Moses' position because the most dangerous people are those that are the most gifted and called by God but won't submit to the refiner's fire. So never think these people aren't gifted. They are. They don't have the good character. The gifts of God, apart from the character of God, is a recipe for disaster. The most dangerous people to the kingdom are those that are genuinely called by God but refuse to submit to God with their gifts and the calling. They use it, like Lucifer did, to rebel against the Most High God and take a third of the angels with them. It's interesting to note that Tamarach Korah, anyway, for all we know, he may have been more gifted than Moses. I'm not saying he was, but let's just, you know, possibility. But he refused to wait for God to exalt him. Instead, he tried to exalt himself. Those that have exalted themselves will be abased. Those that humble themselves will be exalted. If you try to promote yourself, God won't. If you wait for God to promote you, no one can stop him. If you promote yourself, it's your job to keep yourself there. If you wait for God to promote you, it's God's job to keep you there. Those who exalt themselves will be abased, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. Matthew 23, 12, to quote Jesus, God abased Korah. Korah and his 250 princes of the assembly were suddenly swallowed in an earthquake along with all their possessions. Numbers 16, 30, and 32. Left unchecked, this character flaw can bring sudden destruction without remedy. He who being often rebuked and yet hardeneth his neck will be destroyed suddenly and not without remedy. Proverbs 29, 1. Sometimes a well-meaning brother or sister in the Lord will come to us 
with a word that's accurate but delivers it in a wrong spirit or attitude. What do we do when this occurs? This is not a Balaam, a Korah, or a uh, Cain. This is a person's flesh or they miss it. When this happens, what do we do? We receive the word, if it's in the wrong spirit, the, the right word, but reject the spirit. I had somebody come to me with an accurate word one time that they came in anger. And I'm like, I don't have to receive that. They're, they got an angry spirit. They're condemning me and this and that. The Lord says the word's right. The spirit they brought it in is wrong. Receive the word, reject the spirit. And I looked at him. I said, you know what? It's an accurate word. They said, yes, it is. I receive the word and I reject the spirit you brought it in. And they're like, uh, uh. I said, God's not angry with me, but you are. I said, but I receive the word, thank you, and I reject the spirit. See, that's when we grow in maturity versus we throw out the baby with the bathwater. I didn't have to drink that polluted bathwater, but the baby, I needed that word, and it brought correction. We eventually became friends, and he grew into faith. So test everything, hold fast to that which is good. The Apostle Paul was well familiar with the difficulties that sometimes arise with the gift of prophecy. He wrote the entire discourse on the gifts of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14. Their use, their mistakes, their misuses. Earlier to the church at Thessalonica, he had addressed this issue by saying, despise not prophesying. Test everything. Hold fast to that which is good. Eat the chicken, spit up the bones, don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Love people where they're at. Receive the word if it's accurate. Reject the spirit or the attitude if it's wrong. If it's a wrong word or if it's a polluted word, just set it aside or reject it. I had one person come to me one day with false prophecy and he was trying, he had a kind of a Balaam spirit. He comes to me in front of a group of people he starts to prophesy with the word of correction and judgment and this and that. And I looked at him and I recognized the spirit. And the guy was genuinely gifted. I looked at him and said, I don't receive that word. He said, you're going to receive it. I said, no, I don't receive it. I said, but I give you a double portion of it now. <laughs> I don't want that word. I said, you brought it to me. I bless you with a double portion of the word that you brought to me, but I don't receive it. I give it back to you in double force. He couldn't talk. Anyway, this guy didn't like me at that point, but he was trying to like rise up. And, and I actually liked the guy, and he was genuinely gifted. So eventually what happened was uh, he got injured in his leg and hip or something like that, and he couldn't get healed. And he was asking the Lord why he hadn't healed him. He says, I will only heal you once you go to my servant David and repent and ask him to pray for you. So he comes to me. Can I speak with you? I'm thinking, I don't know what this guy's going to say now. And he says, uh, the Lord corrected me. I said, oh, really? In what area? And this had been like two months. And uh, fine, because you never know when God's going to correct somebody, and including you or me, right? Because we all need to be correctable. And he said, the Lord told me you wouldn't heal me until you prayed for me, and I had to repent for what I'd done and this and that. I have some discord amongst the brothers. I've spoken behind your back. Yeah, I said, yeah, I've heard a lot of it. He goes, I'm just really sorry. He goes, it's my ego and pride, and I struggle with this. There was genuine repentance. And so I prayed for him. The power of God came like glory. Like you could see the cloud of God's presence. It came like sheets of water, and he got radically healed and delivered. And he was jumping around in the church, and he was praising God. And he was crying in tears of joy. He was hugging me. 
And uh, he uh, eventually, you know, kind of like nursed that spirit of rebellion and pride and, and ended up getting him a beat down in the drum room one day by another Christian who just couldn't take it anymore. And they both ended up, and I saw him in the visiting room. He's like, face glowing. He repented again. You know, when he was getting shipped. And, and I'm just thinking to myself, wow. But that's what the enemy wanted to do was to trip me up like he tripped up the other Christian. And the other guy's like, was a really calm, peaceful guy. And he gave him a really good beat down to the point to where he literally went through the bass drum and kicked him. I mean, it's kind of a funny thing, but, um, you know, no, no really lasting damage. But, and then that guy who was, you know, a little bit of a lukewarm Christian ended up getting on fire. So God used it all and everybody eventually got reconciled. But that spirit of Balaam is dangerous. The spirit of Cain is dangerous and the spirit of Korah is dangerous. So that's progression of false prophets. Cain, self-will. Korah, self-exaltation. Balaam, self-seeking. So when people have a selfish spirit with prophecy, it turns from prophecy that edifies, encourages, and strengthens to prophecy that brings fear, control, and division. When it's selfless, it advances the kingdom. When it's selfish, it advances the prophet's kingdom at your expense. So a tree is known by its fruit. We're to have fruit, and that fruit remain. So let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the gift of prophecy. We despise not prophecy. Show us what the genuine is so that we can recognize the counterfeit, not in an arrogant or an egotistical way or a judgmental way or a condemning way, but to navigate around it, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, lest we too are tempted. And Lord, we also ask that you would now bring us into a higher realm of the gifts of the spirit that you promised us, that we may all prophesy, and also the fruit of the spirit, that we might have the love, the joy, the peace, that we might hear from you accurate words vertically from heaven to earth and also horizontally across the earth we hear from you from heaven our tongue becomes the pen of a ready writer and we speak horizontally across the earth in relationships your words which are your mind on the matter and also your heart which is a heart of love to restore such a one in a spirit of meekness lest we are too tempted give us these gifts give us dreams and visions and show us how to operate in your gift we just say lord we open our mouths we ask you to fill it right now in jesus mighty name i'm just prompted to say if anybody <coughs> hurts you in prophecy just forgive them now and ask the lord to reset the call somebody's giving you a false word or a manipulative word and they've been immature or even if you got you know manipulated financially or sexually or physically or relationally or positionally in your job whatever it was just release them unto the lord ask him to heal you and to restore you sevenfold on everything the thief has stolen in accordance with proverbs 7 6 30 and 31 nobody despises a thief if he or she steals when he's hungry nevertheless if he be caught he must restore sevenfold and give all the plunder of his house so we forgive the person and we recognize the spirit operating through them and we now arrest the thief the devil and we now forgiven the person or the people and we receive back sevenfold 
from the God who has the gold, the silver, and the cattle of a thousand hills and also has the ability to restore relationships, friendships, and so much more. And I declare and decree, ah, I declare and decree healing in your body as you've forgiven. I see the Lord plucking out the root of bitterness and the gall of bitterness. I thank you, Lord, for unleaning the health right now in people as they have forgiven others that their Heavenly Father might also forgive us our trespasses and then this mountain is removed. In Jesus' name, we declare new beginnings. New beginnings. And if you've never received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior who died on the cross for you, who is buried in the tomb for you, who is raised from the dead for you, and he sits at the right hand of the Father, who is hung up for your hang-ups, receive him if you hear him knocking on the door of your heart. Receive him in afresh and have him right your name right now in the Lamb's Book of Life. It's in Jesus' name. We call it done. We prayed that prayer and invited Jesus in. He's in and all things have become new. Get a Bible and begin to read. Start in the book of John. God will begin to speak to you and lead you from there and then go back and read Genesis and do a New Testament book and an Old Testament book. A New Testament book and an Old Testament book until you get through the whole thing. Anyway, God bless you. I am David, virtual church media. And this is my lovely wife, Joanna. And there's the Queen's way. <laughs> and you can also see us on Facebook and join the Facebook page at virtualchurchcommunity.com. That's our public page. And if you'd like to partner with our ministry, feel free to do so. Pray and obey. How's that for prophetic pressure? Just pray <laughs> and obey. That's how we roll. God bless you. See you next week. Thank you. Thank you.